so good to hear those two songs together. Uh, the way we know uh, that Jesus, that, that our God loves us is that he gave his son for us. And so he paid it all. So thank you, Annika, for working on that and Kirsten as well. So here we are uh, to the sermon. It's going to be a little bit shorter today because we had a lot of other stuff to cover. Um, but a lot of the application of it is going to come as you meet in your life groups this week. If you have a Bible with you, you can open up to John chapter 1. We are working our way through the Gospel of John, and we're not very far yet. We're going to look today at verses 19 to 28. So you can open your Bible there. We'll read that here in a moment. Question for you, have you ever been mistaken for someone else? That someone thought you were someone that you're not. Maybe you have a sibling that looks like you or sounds like you. Maybe you even have a twin, and so you've been mistaken for someone else before. We often have to, uh, maybe not often, but sometimes I have to tell people, no, I am not so-and-so. I had a salesman come in uh, trying to sell something the other day, and he tried to be personal with me, and so he talked to me as though I was Gordon Bacon. I'm not Gordon Bacon, I had to tell him. He was a previous pastor of the church here uh, about six years ago. So I had to tell him, well, that's not who I am. I have a different identity uh, than that person. Uh, I remember when we first moved into town, I've told uh, this before, but a lot of you maybe weren't here. Um, when we first moved into town, we lived in a rental house for a little bit, um, and uh, I had been doing some stuff outside uh, to kind of get everything uh, moved in and all of that stuff. One of the neighbors came a couple days later to introduce herself to our family, and I wasn't around, and she introduced herself to Kirsten, uh, and she said to Kirsten, and I see that you have a teenage son. Uh, and, uh, I had, Kirsten had to let them know, like, no, my husband's not a teenager, that's my husband, uh, and so, like, I'm not, I'm not, I look young, but I'm not a teenager either, right? So, it's important for us to occasionally recognize we're not who other people might think that we are. Our world will tell you that it's good to know who you are, and they're right, but it's also important for us to know who we're not. So, for example, I like to be in control. And I often think, like in my mind, just to be honest, I, like to, I think that if everything went my way, things would go a lot better. It's good for me then maybe to be a leader, but it's important for me to know that I'm not God. Right? I like it when people are affected by my teaching, and I like helping people. So it's maybe good for me to be a pastor, but it's important for me to know that I'm not Jesus. Right? So it's important for us to know not only who we are, but also who we're not. So question for you. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you're not? And do you know who you are in relationship to Jesus? That's the big idea of what we're looking at today. Who aren't you and who are you? We're in John chapter 1, and John has been introducing us to who Jesus is. And in this opening chapter, at this section, in verses 19 to 28, we're going to be introduced to Jesus through the testimony of John. Not the same John who's writing this, but the John who's writing this, the disciple John who's writing this, is writing about another guy named John who will later be called John the Baptist. Okay, And we're going to hear about who Jesus is from this John. And the big idea is this. We need to know who we are not and who we are, especially who we are in relation 
to Jesus. Because John is going to see that. We're going to clearly see as we read this passage that John the Baptist knows who he's not, he knows who he is, and he knows who he is in relationship to Jesus. And we need to know these same things. So, if you're able to, would you stand as we read the Word of God? From John chapter 1, beginning in verse 19, let me pray first. Father, would you now, by the power of your Holy Spirit who dwells in all of us who believe, and the power of your Holy Spirit who brings about new birth in those who do not believe, I pray that your Spirit would be actively at work here. That ways in which our minds and our hearts are drifting, I pray that you would help us to be pointed and zoomed in and focused in right now on your word, that you might, by your spirit, through your word, build up your church today for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read God's word from John chapter 1, starting in verse 19. God's word says this, and this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Well, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, well, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, Then why are you baptizing? If you're neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet, John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. You can be seated. So in your bulletin, there is a a sermon notes page. Uh, Many of you, some of you are visiting here today, and so you're not going to be in a life group probably. Uh, That life group guide might be helpful for you in just working on application on your own as well. Who I'm not is what we're going to look at first, because that's where it starts here in verses 19 to 22. We're told that what we're about to read is the testimony of John. This is what John has to say. He's going to say something. He's going to tell the truth about something. It's a testimony, and it's from John, who I mentioned already, is not the John who's the author of this, but is John the Baptist. Here's the occasion. Here's what gives John the opportunity to testify about Jesus. The Jews have sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem. They want to find out who this guy is. And this is like later on in the book of John, we're going to see how these same religious leaders start to turn against Jesus. At this point, they're not in opposition. They're just being good leaders, right? Leaders of a, of a, of a, of a, of a denomination, of a religion who want to know a lot of my people are going to listen to this guy. Like they're traveling out into the wilderness to listen to John the Baptist. So they want to know, like, what's he teaching? I get questions like this frequently as a pastor. I think of ones just in the last weeks that I've gotten. I've gotten questions because they know that I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm a, one of the leaders and the elders have gotten questions like this. We talked about it together as elders. 
How do you respond to people's questions like, hey, what do you think of the teaching of so-and-so? And I think that's good for me to be a responsible leader and saying, you know what, if a lot of people are listening to or reading the teaching of this person, I have the responsibility to know a little bit about it. So here's questions I've gotten in the last couple of weeks. I wrote down a couple of things just because this is just so contemporary, right? Somebody asked me uh, a question, uh, what do you think of Jen Hatmaker, okay? So she's somebody that uh, writes a lot of stuff for a lot of people. So like, well, I'll answer that question. Um, and so me and the elders, we talked about it. Here's how I uh, introduced her as, as I did some research. I want to know who are people listening to. Uh, and if you've been in a Christian bookstore, they've got her books. If you've watched TV, she's on TV. Like, she's all over the place. She's a popular author who once identified as an evangelical Christian, but now mostly criticizes evangelicals. She's a gifted communicator, both as a writer and a speaker. She's engaging, relatable, and funny, but there's a couple of causes for concern. Um, One is her approach to God's word is not typically submission to its authority, but is increasingly questioning its authority. She, like many liberal theologians, emphasizes grace, social justice, and activism, and de-emphasizes truth and the power and authority of God's word, to the point that she got to in 2016, claiming that after much study of the Bible, she has concluded that the Bible teaches that homosexual activity is, can be seen as holy um, by God, right? And so that would be some things that make me say, I get it that she's really engaging and relatable and funny and witty, and a lot of things she says might be good and helpful, but I'm not sure that she would be someone that I would go to, right? Somebody asked me about Joel Osteen. I always get questions about Joel Osteen because a lot of people listen to him, right? Um, Here's what, what I responded recently to somebody. He's a motivational speaker who teaches people to think positively, and he's called a pastor, but he's not a faithful preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I could say a lot more, but that's my summary. Okay, uh, so we, We've been confronted recently with uh, some practices in the school that kids are doing called mindfulness meditation. Okay, Stuff that we were a bit concerned about. So we asked some questions. Um, and and our, our conclusion is that children should be and, and can be taught about religion in school, but they ought not to be taught to practice certain religions in school. And so uh, this mindfulness meditation, here's what they call it in the curriculum. A growing trend with very old roots based off of ancient meditation techniques, mindfulness encourages one to be present in the moment with thoughts and feelings, but without making judgments. And there's a number of things that we have a problem with in that. And so we went and had a meeting with some people at the school on Friday. Okay, So uh, we're, we're, that, that's the kind of thing that's going on here. You get that? I'm just giving you examples of Here's what's happening in John the Baptist's day. A lot of the Jewish people are going out to listen to the teaching of John. And the leaders care about the people. So they're like, well, let's send somebody out to find out about this guy. I want to hear some things about John. All right. So here's what they do. They ask him a very blunt question. Hey, who are you? Okay. Who are you? That's the first question they want to know. And John gives them an answer. We're still in verse 20 now. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Okay, let's just get that on the table right away. The Jewish people were expecting a Christ. The, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures had pointed ahead to one who would come to be one who would be like uh, the Christ is the word, is how we translate it, Messiah, anointed one. One that they, their expectations had come in many ways to be a, a political liberator. 
okay? Somebody who's going to come and make Israel great again uh, without a red hat. Uh, but that was kind of their expectation, right? That this is who the Messiah is going to be. And John wants to be clear right up front, hey, I'm, I'm not the Christ. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. That anointed Messiah King that you're looking for, that scripture prophet, that's not me. Okay? So he knows who he's not. Then they ask him the question, what then? Are you Elijah? Now, why would they ask him that question? Well, you can look at it more in your life group. It's in the life group guide. But in the book of Malachi, it was prophesied that a prophet like Elijah would come in the end times to restore God's people. And also in 2 Kings 1.8, when it describes what uh, Elijah looked like, and in Matthew, when it describes what John the Baptist looked like, there was a, a resemblance between the two of them. They wore the same kind of clothing and acted in the same way. So it was logical for them to ask, "Are you are you Elijah? Like the one? Are you are you Elijah?" His answer, very clear, "I'm not." And then they asked him, "Are you the prophet?" Probably referring to Deuteronomy eighteen eighteen. And again, in your life groups, you might take some time to look these things up. We're not going to take that time now. But there's reasons they would ask him this question. Are you the prophet? And his answer is, no, I'm not the prophet. He answers, no. So before we move on to the who I am, he's very clear, isn't he? John the Baptist about who he's not. Not the Christ, not Elijah, not the prophet. All these things that you might expect me to be, I'm not any of them. And I think before we start talking about who we are, it's good for us to recognize that we need to think more often about who we're not. Here's a couple of ways that I've been thinking about that and applying this to me recently. The first one is this. I need to know that I am not the eternal word. And so I need to go to bed sometimes. So listen, John chapter 1 verse 3, we were here a couple of weeks ago, where it tells us about Jesus. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. We also looked at Hebrews 1.3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And listen to what Jesus does. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And so there's a lot of implications for what this means for me. But one thing I need to be clear about is that that's not me. Hebrews 1.3 and John 1.3 are about Jesus and not about me. Like, I don't have limitless power, and the world is not depending on me to keep doing its thing. Right? The, 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 er, the orbit of the earth around the sun, uh, that's not up to me. The tilting and the spinning and all that stuff, that's not up to me. I don't have the kind of power that Jesus has. And the reason I need to be, I, like, I don't ever think that that. But here's the thing. Here's where it kind of hits the ground for me and maybe for you. Maybe you're like me and you're the kind of person who likes to make lists and get things done. Like you just, I, I love making a list, but here's what happens to me. I get to the end of every week and I have some degree of stress because I made a list of things that I wanted to do during the week and I never get it done. And it feels like it's always hanging over my head. And I wonder, like, and I get, I get uptight about things. And it's been good for me to be reminded that, you know what, it's Jesus who made all things and upholds the whole universe. And if I don't get everything done on my to-do list, it's fine. 
Like everything else continues to function. My blood pressure is still somewhere around 120 over 80, and I have not a lot to do with that. God is sustaining me, and God is sustaining all these things in the world. The church is doing okay, even if I take a vacation, and even if I go to bed at night, and even if I get done at the end of the week, and I haven't gotten all my stuff done. I haven't called all the people I wanted to call. I haven't done all the things I've wanted to do. I need to be reminded of that and just go to bed sometimes. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you get stressed out by your to-do list and feeling like there's all this pressure and I'm overwhelmed and I never get everything done. It's okay. You're not the eternal word. Go to bed sometimes. Okay? The other application of this I was thinking is this. Oh, here's what it says in Psalm 127 too. This has been helpful for me lately. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. That's a gift from God. Stop thinking like everything depends on you getting everything done. It just doesn't. And then the second part of application of this is that you're also not the Christ. John said uh, he denied uh, and, and confessed and did not deny, I am not the Christ. Neither are we. We just had parents stand up before us saying it's their desire that their kids would grow up to know and to love and to worship and obey Jesus. And as much as they have uh, responsibility to do a number of things, it's not ultimately up to them. And so one thing I think this leads us to is it leads us to pray more. When we believe that we have all sorts of control and we can fix everyone's problems and we can solve, like, then we don't pray as, mu- as much. But when we believe, when we're reminded that we're not the Christ, that drives us to pray more. So a challenge for you this week, what, what I'm going to do sometime this week, and I challenge you to as well, is to, you've made a commitment to these families and parents, many of you have made a commitment before this church to your own children, that I want to pray fervently for the salvation of kids in the next generation. Maybe it's your kids, maybe it's your grandkids. What I'm going to do this week is I'm going to skip a meal, and I'm going to just fast and pray fervently that God would do work that only God can do. And that's a way for me to acknowledge I'm not the Christ. I, can't, I can do all these things, and I'm going to do all that I can. But in the end, I can't save them, and I need God to. And so I'm going to set aside eating for a period of time that I might pray to that end. Maybe you ought to do that as well. All right. We're going to keep moving. Who I am. Okay, verses 22 and 23. Now they're going to just ask, okay, I get that, John. So you're not any of these people we thought you might be. But look at verses 22 and 23. So they said to him, well, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Okay, like they gave us a job, and all you've told us so far is you're not Jesus, you're not the Christ, you're not the prophet, and you're not Elijah. Well, who are you? We've got to tell them something when we go back. And so now he gives his answer. Here's who I am. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Okay, Isaiah was written about 700 years before John the Baptist's time. And he's saying, that thing that Isaiah prophesied, that was about me. I'm the fulfillment of this prophecy about, about Isaiah, from Isaiah. I am the prophet. I'm the one who speaks in the name of the Lord. I'm the one who, in the wilderness, cries out and makes straight or prepares the way of the Lord. John knows what his role is. I'm one who's here. I'm not the Christ. I'm not Elijah. I'm I'm just the guy who Isaiah said would come and prepare the way for the Lord. 
He understood that. He had a lot to learn yet about Jesus, but he at least understood that much. Application for us of this would be pretty simple. We don't have the exact same specific calling that John the Baptist did. Isaiah maybe didn't prophesy about us in the same exact way. But are we not also people who have been put here to prepare people to meet Jesus? I think we are. Again, something in your life group you'll spend more time talking about. But we are here as people who prepare others to meet Jesus. And then the final verses of this passage, verses 24 to 28. Who I am in relationship to Jesus. If we look at this, we start with verses 24 and 25. Reminder, they had been sent from the Pharisees, one particular group who was really concerned about rules, following all of the rules legalistically. Okay, the Pharisees. And so they would rightly be wondering, what's this guy, what authority does this guy have to be baptizing people? So they ask, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? It was common in that day, or maybe not common, but it it happened in that day that people who were not Jewish but converted to Judaism would baptize themselves. They would immerse themselves in the water as a sign of their conversion to Judaism. But here John is, and he's actually baptizing others. And they're asking him, what gives you that authority? Why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? Kind of asking him, like, who do you think you are? What are you doing this for? And so John has an opportunity to point people to Jesus and to define his relationship to Jesus amongst others. I love John's answer here in verses 26 and 27. Here's what he says. I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. John knows who he's not. He knows who he is. And now we see that John, and most importantly, knows who he is in relationship to Jesus. He's saying, listen, all this attention on me, but there's somebody among us that you don't even know yet. Because at this point, Jesus' ministry hasn't become public. He's just son of Mary and Joseph Carpenter from the little village of Nazareth. And John is saying, listen, there's one you don't know. I'm just baptizing with water, but there's one who comes after me. John just came before him to prepare the way, but there's one who comes after me, and he says, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. John is just saying, the gap between me and this one is even greater than the gap between a master and a slave. A slave might be worthy to untie a master's sandal strap. And he says, I am so much lower than this one that I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal strap. See, John knows, most importantly, who he is in relationship to Jesus. There's going to be some application of that, but first, verse 28, the final verse. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. John tells us where this was all happening geographically. Bethany, which we'll hear about later in John, the the Bethany we usually hear about is Bethany that's close to Jerusalem. This is a different town, same name, other side of the Jordan. Okay, So that's where this is happening. Just puts it in a, a real location at a real time. 
with some application of this to close. That would be this. We need to know this. Jesus is great. He is the Christ. And our response ought to be to submit to him and to magnify him. Some of you sitting here today, you're not yet convinced of that. You would be what the Bible calls an unbeliever. Maybe you're curious, but you're just wondering about this Jesus. Maybe John could say that you're one of those people like, there's one here you don't know yet, but I'm here to tell you how great he is. And I would just ask you, have you confessed Jesus as Savior? Have you submitted to Jesus as Lord? You have a choice. You can either keep living life like you're the one who's in charge, like you're the one who calls the shots, like you're the one who gets to determine what's right and wrong, what's good and bad. You're the one who gets to make excuses for sin, or you can come and humble yourself before God and say, I see that your standard is the standard, and I have failed to live up to it. And it is my desire to submit now to Jesus, knowing that he is much greater than I, and I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. That would be what I would hope that you would do if you are yet an unbeliever. And for those of us who are believers, who believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior, who have submitted ourselves to Him, we could ask ourselves these questions. Do other people even know I believe this? John made it pretty clear, didn't he, with others. Here's who I'm not. Here's who I am. My whole goal is to prepare people to meet Jesus, and I want you to know how great He is. Is that the witness and testimony you have in your school kids? Is that the witness and testimony you have in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family? Are you one who's known as one who sees the greatness of Jesus and is willingly proclaiming that to other people? We ought to wrestle with that a bit this week. John made it clear who he was in relation to Jesus. Will you ask God to give you the courage to tell others how great Jesus is? Will you submit to and magnify Jesus with your life and with your words and with your works? Let's pray. God, I thank you uh, for a little bit of time together in your word. This is not enough to sustain us. We need to be in your word uh, all throughout the week. I thank you for the opportunities we have to do that through programming like Awana, like youth group, like life groups. Pray that you'd help us to be diligent in doing that on your own, that we would uh, delight in you and so want to study what your word says, that we might know you more. And God, I pray that as we come to know you more, we would gladly, joyfully submit ourselves to you, recognizing how much greater you are than us, that we would proclaim with our words how great Jesus is, and we would even proclaim with our lives as people who stop getting so anxious and who go to bed sometimes, as people who don't believe that we have the solution and fix to every problem, but as people who genuine, genuinely believe that what people need most is not our answers and our solutions, but they need Jesus. And so God, help us to be people that fervently pray for that, that more and more people around us would come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And God, it is our joy 
to be your people who regularly have the opportunity to sit and to behold Jesus in all of his glory, to reflect on you, God, sending your son to become flesh, you sending your son to die on the cross for our sins, and you sending your son for us. What a gift. And I pray that you would help us to think on that, uh, to, to find joy in that, even as we sing this closing song together. In Jesus' name. Amen. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to sing a song, um, and uh, it's a song that we're going to start singing more frequently, um, and uh, I love it. Uh, if you're able to, go ahead and stand, and we'll, uh, we'll sing this song that, uh, as I started going through this, um, I'll just tell you this. I started going through this song, and I, was, I thought, like, oh, that idea and that verse, that comes right out of Scripture. And I started doing that. I got through to the end of this song and found that that was true with every single line of every single verse. Um, and so this is a kind of song that as we find joy in singing it, as it seeks, sinks deep into our hearts, this helps us to meditate on the things that Scripture tells us. And so um, let's do that. Let's sing and worship together uh, this song.